Well, it's great to be in Hawaii. My goodness, this place is beautiful. I'm a witness, I'm a recipient of this aloha spirit. It's been a wonderful week of uh, vacation for Olivia and for me, and uh, we're grateful to John and Lonnie as our hosts this week, really, they've opened the door for us to come, and then to Phil and Debbie today, this morning. It's a great privilege to join you all here today. And of course, the king of the universe is also present with us by the Holy Spirit, which is wonderful. And I love to remember that every time we gather to worship, it's an act of treason against the God of this age, right? The God of this world. And we gather together as traitors. We live in another kingdom and by the rules of another kingdom whose law is love, whose motivation is humility and sacrifice and generosity and holiness, right? We are not of this world any more than Jesus was of this world. Hallelujah. And so just to frame that, as we have gathered, as we've come to this place this morning, it's an act of war, an act of treason against the God of this age whose only desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. But we are of another kingdom, a kingdom of our God and of his Christ, the Lord Jesus. And he has come to give us life to the full. Hallelujah. And he is here. Woo! This is good news. That's why the gospel is called good news, right? He is here. We are not orphans. Praise the Lord. Well, something that I recognize, and I think you will too, as a cross-cultural thing, is a young men showing off for young women. Anybody? Can I get a witness? Anybody recognize that concept, perhaps? Uh, either doing it yourself, and of course, we, I recognize that there's a reciprocal dynamic there, but just for right now, <laughs> talk about the guys showing off for the girls. <clears throat> so this picture kind of illustrates that in my thinking. And uh, just a little personal story, the first time I laid eyes on this particular young man, he was 20 years old, was a physical education major, studying that at university, and had just taken a term of uh, gymnastics, studying gymnastics. And so he was at uh, tip-top physical condition and agility, could walk on his hands, could do chin-ups and all kinds of sort of acrobatic things at that time when I met him. And he uh, also is a strong extrovert and no stranger to showing off himself. And uh, I was a little bit younger than he, and so he was showing off for me with all that fitness and agility and young manhood uh, on display. <laughs> and let me just say, it wasn't wasted because I married him. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so uh, I can also frame, we can frame the book of Exodus along similar lines, believe it or not, of Yahweh, God, Jehovah, the one true God, the eternal, everlasting, uncreated God, demonstrating his special care for the Hebrew people. So stepping back at the book of Exodus, think of chapters 1 through 17 as the wooing, right? That kind of pursuit. For example, look at this for showing off. Talk about showing off. This is God here. Uh, sent Moses to his people, to the Hebrew people, while they were in Egyptian slavery. Sent a rescuer. Uh, gave the Passover, the Exodus. Parted the Red Sea. Turned bitter water sweet. Revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha. Sent manna and quail in the wilderness and brought water from the rock. Hey, baby, I'm showing off. I'm showing off, girlfriend. I like you, right? This is Jehovah. Exodus 1 through 17. Then chapters 20 through 40. This is serious business here. This is the commitment. 
the relationship, how we're going to live together. We've got the Ten Commandments, some parameters, right? Not unlike a wedding vow. We're going to, of course, we're going to be faithful. We're going to be true. We're going to be exclusive to one another and so on. We've got the covenant confirmed in Exodus 24, uh, setting up house in the tabernacle, those chapters there. And then at the end, the culmination of the book of Exodus, we have the glory falls. So sort of they move in to, together. God's presence fills the temple. And then we're going to zoom in right now on chapter 19, a couple of verses of Exodus 19, right in the midst of this, the big story there of the wooing, and then there's the relationship. Right here, chapter 19 of the book of Exodus, we see what I perceive to be the proposal. Exodus 19, 5 and 6 especially. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. Out of all nations, although the whole earth is mine is mine. Just want to read that in context. Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. If you have a Bible, let's look at that together. Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. In the third month, <clears throat> excuse me, in the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now... If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom and priests, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Well, God is a holy romantic. He is always the pursuer. He's always the initiator. And so here we see Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now we have all this wooing that's gone on through those earlier chapters in Exodus. And now here it is. Here's the proposal. Here's the uncreated God, the king of the universe, saying to a particular group of people, if you obey me fully, keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Five times in this chapter we see the idea of God descending, God coming down. Verse 19, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended to it on, on it in fire. Verse 20, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. The Lord bowed down. He stooped low to meet with Moses on behalf of the people, his treasured possession. Yahweh descends to the mountaintop. Who but God descends to a mountaintop? right? But five times, there it is. He descended, he descended, he descended. Like Jesus, who stooped low, bowed down to meet with humanity. You can see the proposal, right? It's in a sense as if Jehovah, the one true God, is coming down on his knee and saying, Hebrew people, you particular group of people, because you were nothing even, it says elsewhere, right? It's not because you were special, it's because really because you were so insignificant, but I chose you, Yahweh, descending, coming down, to the top of the mountain to say to Moses the mediator, to the people of Israel, I choose you. It's a beautiful word, beautiful revelation of what God is like. And we see Jesus, who's the fullness of God in bodily form. 
Out of all the nations, you are mine. You are chosen. You are personal. As a personal God, through all the whole earth, God has chosen Israel. We recognize, of course, we can take these passages also at a personal level, as well as this corporate idea, and take it to our, take it to our own hearts. Now, in a wedding ceremony, there's often the idea of uh, keeping ourselves, uh, forsaking all others, keeping ourselves only to our chosen one, right? Um, out of all the others in the earth, I choose you. But we recognize, too, that in our weddings, that's actually an overstatement, isn't it? Because we didn't actually have the choice of everyone in the whole earth, did we? Did we? Right? That's an overstatement. Nobody actually had, out of everyone else in the world, all of whom wanted me, I've said no to them all except to you. <laughs> overstatement. However, Jehovah can actually say that out of all the nations, though all the nations are mine, he's zooming in here in a special way and saying, I choose you. The uncreated God of the universe wants you. He's got lots of options. All nations, the whole world. But his love, well, it is for the whole world, to be sure. His heart is always reaching. Yet Israel has been meant, and, and Israel's always been meant to be a light to the nations. But experientially, we need personally to understand that he chooses us. Paul understood this, the Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3. He always had this sense of just wonderment expressed here in verses 7 and 8. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. In other words, Paul writes out of a deep personal conviction, he chose me. God grant us revelation about this right here in this room this morning. Out of all the nations of the earth, although I'm the least deserving, although I am not anything in myself of significance, nevertheless, God's pursuing love pursues you. And I want, if you're within the sound of my voice this morning, and this is a new thing for you perhaps, I want to assure you it includes you. You are included in God's pursuit, in God's seeking love. It is for you. He chooses you. Uh, a woman by the name of Mary Ann Bird, uh, right, she became a writer, but she describes herself as a child. She was born with a, a cleft palate and a hair lip, disfigured face. Uh, it, it made her speech um, garbled. And so she always felt as an outcast, was ridiculed by her peers, the children. And she said, when I entered second grade, I had Mrs. Leonard. I never knew what her first name was, but everyone adored her, Mrs. Leonard. The time came for the annual hearing test, which this is a few decades ago. And it was the whisper test in which each child would go to the door of the classroom, turn sideways, close one ear with a finger, and then the teacher would whisper something from her desk, and the child would repeat. Very low-tech hearing test for uh, Mary Ann Bird in second grade. And she said the, the seven words that Mrs. Leonard whispered changed her life. So keep in mind, she had been disfigured from birth and experienced that kind of rejection and uh, the damaging effect of that on her soul as well as her body. And, but this moment with Mrs. Leonard, this teacher, when she whispered to this little girl, Marianne, seven words that changed her life, she testifies that it, it, everything changed from this point on. Seven words being, I wish you were my little girl. Just the simplicity of that, Mrs. Leonard, to the young girl, Mary. I choose you. Well, Yahweh has come down, come low in Christ for you, in pursuit of you and me. And there's no one for whom his heart does not extend, right? His heart is for the whole world. Exodus 19, 6, you will be... 
So the first point of application for you to respond to, to consider within your own heart, is respond to his love. Accept his proposal of love, knowing that he, he chooses you. Again, it could be something, you may be hearing this in a clearer way than you have before, so I assure you, you're included. It's for you. But likewise, many in the room will have heard this before, but just as with our human relationships, we need to be reminded and say again, even to our spouse, right? I choose you, I continue to be responsive to this love, to be generous, to be reciprocating. For the believer this morning also, hear it again, he chooses you. So your responsibility and mine is then to respond in kind. I accept your love, thank you for loving me. I believe the love of God. So Exodus 19, 6, you'll become for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So our value is demonstrated in God's loving pursuit of us, choosing us as revealed in Exodus 19 to the Hebrew people. But it's not just love for it, or it, as an end in itself, but the, the result of this love will be holiness. I choose you to be a holy nation, a holy people, holy Gentiles, holy heathen. It's as though the author, the biblical author here, was having fun with the word nation. Because when it's translated, usually a holy nation, that you'd be a holy nation, Ephesians, I mean, Exodus 19, 6. It could all, the same word nation could be translated people, Gentile, or heathen. And it's always plural. I choose you, I love you, I'm after you, I pursue you, I come down low on bended knee, as it were. I descend to the mountaintop to come among you. Again, a, a, a hint of Christ, what Jesus would do eventually. But now it's a word as a people, that you would be a holy people, a holy nation. So there's value there. There's destiny here. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai, called Moses to the top of the mountain. So the Lord went up. So Moses went up to the Lord. Exodus 24. The voice of the Lord calling said to Moses, come up to me. And we read in Revelation 4.1, John, the apostle John, a voice, saw a door standing open in heaven and heard a voice speaking like a trumpet that said, come up here. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, when I was a teenager, a really defining event in my life was the death of my mother. And then an equally excruciating event was my father's remarriage and all that that entailed. Both, so those two things had a very uh, destructive synergy in my 14-year-old life and sent me on quite a downward spiral so that my, I lost my bearings and became, I was lost is the truest description. Didn't really remember that I was loved or that there was some purpose for my life or a bigger story even in the midst of my pain. And so I began to live out of that understanding, which was a very bad way to live. And so uh, keep in mind, it was in the 70s, Boston Garden rock concert, that became a way of life for me, a lot of rock concerts in my adolescence, fill in the dots. So I was not pursuing God, I was there in this rock concert, and talk about the pursuing God, he was after me. And uh, I was, you know, living badly, <clears throat> but I heard the deep impression within myself, not the audible voice, but the closest I've had to it so far is the Lord saying to me, there's better for you than this, Jan. 
which was really my equivalent of Moses hearing the voice of God saying, come up here, or John the Apostle saying there's a voice like a trumpet from heaven saying, come up here. There's better for you than this jam. And I knew within myself that it was Jesus speaking to me, and that changed everything. And so by the grace of God, I believed him. I believed that voice. I believed that word, that there was actually something better for me. And it's not that we, in any sense, are unwilling to go low or to get our hands dirty uh, in, for the sake of others and the Lord's leading. <clears throat> but as a way of life, we want to live with a, beautif a beautiful heart, a beautiful understanding of our identity and how we are able to live in him. Come up here, God calls. I think of the thief on the cross, who obviously the way he was living was not a beautiful way. There was something better for him as well, but he didn't understand it until those last moments of his life. And we can just imagine him when he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus saying back to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. That when the thief on the cross entered into paradise, whatever that was like for him, that in that moment he may have said, why didn't someone tell me? Why didn't someone tell me there was a better way? Why didn't someone tell me there was better for me than the life I was living? Why didn't someone tell me I was part of a kingdom? Why didn't someone tell me I was loved, I was chosen, I was valued? Why didn't someone tell me there was a holy life available for me to which I was destined? Why didn't someone tell me if I had known I was royalty, I wouldn't have needed to be a thief, right? There's better for you and for me than that sort of low, way, the kingdom of this world, right? That way of thinking, that is not the best way to live. And we reject it wholeheartedly for a better way. And in, kind of ironically, right? As we want to ascend in the Lord living, you know, up here in the sense of the, a beautiful life, it often requires us to go low, and rightly so, even as God himself has done. So question for you, Any, is there anything in your heart challenging your loyalty to him? Not how much can you get away with, but how wholehearted can you be? How much more complete can your devotion be? Anything, Lord, I'm totally yours, no other rivals. So he loves you, you are chosen, he is in pursuit of you. Receive his love, his proposal of love to you, that you value in life. You have a destiny in God to be holy, to be part of a holy people. We have that together. And thirdly, to tell the nations, Exodus 19, 6, these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites or to the nation. Out of all the nations, be a holy nation and tell the nations. Again, Paul had deep understanding about this in Ephesians chapter 3. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone this mystery his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here's the message for the Israelites, which is a nation, right? For the nation, for the tribe, for the children, for the generation. They're, all, they're called all those words in the scriptures. Spoken to Moses, yes, but Moses is a mediator, is a type of Christ. And God has then given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So we then are to speak to the nation. We have a message to the nation, to the generation, to the tribe. What is the message? That from all the nations of the world, he wants you. He has bowed down low in Christ. You are valued. Part of the message is that he wants you to be holy, to rise up, to come up here, 
there's better for you than this. And he wants you to tell the whole world, tell the nation, that of all the nations, they're chosen to be part of a holy nation to tell the nations. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, nearly 10 years ago now, I was leading a teenage girl's Bible study, and we, t- we were living in Maine, and we took a trip to Manhattan, Lower Manhattan, Battery Park, and there's the seven of us, and this plaque marks the landing of the Salvation Army in the United States, arguably. Don't tell Philadelphia, because they have another story. But this is, we're from New York, so this is our story. <laughs> it was close. Anyway, George Scott Relton, Commissioner George Scott Relton from, uh, the, from the British Isles, arrived by boat, of course, with seven young women who were known as the Hallelujah Lassies. And so here are seven of us, uh, a long time later, you know, 140 years later, 130 years later or so, also in New York City, seven hallelujahs ourselves. And on that plaque, it, it marks the arrival of the Salvation Army, and it calls it a glorious, though a gracious invasion. And so the story goes that, that Railton and these seven hallelujahs, seven young women, stood there, planted the army flag on the shores of New York City at the time in 1882, and declared, we are taking America for God, which again is so unimpressive in the natural. But we are not of this kingdom. We have another lens. And so the seven of us put our hands together on that site a few years ago, and having read their story, we were stirred by it, and we also prayed, God, would you do it again? Would you take America and the nations for God through seven little girls, seven little hallelujahs with the power of the living God on the inside? Would you do something beautiful in the world through our lives? And I invite you into that as well, that that's part of your calling, to tell the nations you have been chosen to be holy, to tell the nations that they've been chosen to be holy, to tell the nations. Mm -hmm. If he calls you to serve him, don't stoop to be a king. There's something better for you than that. Value, destiny, meaning. What does this mean for us? Just, Just enjoy Jesus here for a few minutes. Who has descended from the heavens to earth to establish relationship with us? Who has bowed low? It is Jesus, our bridegroom God. In bowing down to humanity, who has opened the way for us to holiness? Whose spirit empowers us to overcome sin and fills us with himself so that we are free to be holy? It is Jesus. Who died for the nations? Who loves the generations? Whose commission sends us to make disciples of all nations? It is Jesus. Friends, accept his proposal. You are chosen. You are valued. You are beloved. Shake off rejection, inferiority, self-loathing. You have value. I just want to say, even if we've come from a decent upbringing, we all take, uh, get wounds, right? And there's various forces that communicate to us that we're not loved, that we're not valued, that we're not good enough, let alone when we've really had some very difficult experiences that send that message even very explicitly that communicate to us rejection and self-hatred. Um, Let me just tell you, we're talking about the power of God here. There is no wound. There is no lie from the pit of hell that can communicate to us our worthlessness that is stronger, that can keep a hold on your heart. If you will receive his proposal today to accept the truth, the eternal truth, that you are loved, you are valued, you are worthy, you are worthwhile. God loves you. He's pursued you. He's come low for you. 
Let's believe the truth, shall we? Let's believe the truth. He's greater. Yes. And we respond in love and say, I believe your love and I respond back to you, Holy One. I love you too. My love is weak, but I'm, I mean it. I'm sincere. Secondly, accept his proposal. Your destiny to be holy. Utterly, please hear me, utterly reject compromise. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. I choose to be holy. Anybody, I choose to be holy. I believe there's no sin, no besetting sin. Hebrews describes it, scriptures describe it. We might call it an addiction or a pattern or a way of life that brings uh, destruction. It just brings damage. It's not the best way to live. It's not a beautiful life. It's not something better for us, right? Besetting sins, the scriptures call it. We believe that the God of the universe, his spirit on the inside of this earthen, ordinary person like you and me, his power on the inside of us is sufficient to break every chain, to break every chain. Amen? Believe it for yourself and for others. Let's not be intimidated by the lies that tell us we're not loved or lovely, by the lies that tell us we can't be holy, we're stuck in this sin and there's no hope. Those are lies. We accept his proposal of love and say, I am valued. I am beloved. We accept his proposal and say, and I am destined. I am destined to live a holy life. And we together are destined to be a holy people. Thanks be to God. What is the nation, the tribe, the generation, the neighborhood that God has you in now? Be holy there. In secret when no one's looking and in community together. Accept his proposal, our glorious assignment in Christ, to tell the nations. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It's a God-sized task. What an honor to be invited into this work, this task, this life. Whatever your work, whatever job you have, or if you don't have a job, it doesn't even matter. All of us are actually part of this purpose in the world. God's given us meaning to our lives. We have value. We have a destiny in holiness. And we have meaning in our lives because every one of us is invited to participate in the ministry of reconciliation, telling the world that they are loved, that they belong to him. He is in pursuit of them. So I ask you, is there a particular nation, people group, region, city, generation, tribe to which you were called, burdened, and for which you want to see God move? Remember, the language here is plural, a holy people in community. We are God's chosen people, a chosen generation, bringing people to God. So I want to encourage you, just a reminder that you are not your own. You are, and I am not my own. We are bought at a price. So we honor God with our bodies in terms of holy living, yes, but also with our energies, like you and I, because of what Christ has done, because of his condescension, right, coming down in pursuit of us in love. We can't just do whatever we want in terms of our, even our vocation, like how we're, what we're going to do with our lives. Whatever our job, we are here for God's purposes in the world. Do you know that? We are here for his glory, to accomplish his will, to establish his kingdom, to declare the kingdom has come and is coming in its fullness. So I just want to encourage you if... If you're feeling a bit of conviction about that, thinking maybe you've been uh, sort of running the show, like making your own choices as though God doesn't have a right to speak into that or direct you otherwise, I'm here to tell you, he does. He does. We are called to be part of this ministry of reconciliation.
So what does that mean for you? How do you have to order your days? How are you going to live your life? What are your priorities going to be? So that you can participate in God's ministry of reconciliation. As I mentioned at the beginning, I'd like uh, some help with the musicians if we could. He is here. I'd just like us to have some time to pray. And uh, the song about to break the yoke, right? The yoke of lies that tell us, uh, that speak to us against love, that we are loved. Let's take, let's exercise faith right now. He is here. The uncreated God of the universe has descended, has come down among us in Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, and now among us by the Holy Spirit and in his people. So that yoke, that same anointing of the Holy Spirit is present with us right now to break off every yoke that would tell us we are not valued, that would tell us we can't be free from sin, that would tell us that sin is stronger, that hate is stronger, or that would allow us to be seduced into thinking that our lives are our own and we can just live as we like. No. We have value, we have destiny, and we have meaning, all of which God has called us into. Out of all the nations of the earth, he has chosen you.